thanks to Crime Malt, this is Radio Brews News. My name is Matt Kirkegaard, founder of Australian Brews News, and as ever, I'm joined by my good friend, colleague, and all-round good beer guy, Pete Mitchum. Pete, welcome back. G'day, Matt. Thanks for welcoming me back. It's good to be back, and g'day, listeners. Mate, how's your week been? Yeah, not too bad. Reasonably quiet, um, you know, sort of getting towards the... Uh, pointy end of the of the school term, so there's been you know little bits and pieces there, school concerts and things like that to prepare for, and um, but not a lot beer wise. Yeah, it's been. Uh, uh, how was your father's day? Did, uh, did the little pilsners give you uh, lots of beer related goodness? No, not at all. No, it was um, no t-shirts and socks and iTunes vouchers and um, beer branded t-shirts by any chance. Well, it's it's. I'm wearing it at the moment. Uh, it's it's Homer Simpson, but he's on a like a, a very old tradie style uh, Nokia with the pull up aerial, and it's got it says old school dad. <laughs> so in 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 the sense that you know Homer is is known to in, enjoy the odd duff. Um, no, it's it's that's about as beer related as okay. it gets. Fair enough. So, um, yeah, and uh, any beers of the week this week? Have you tried anything new? I did actually one that I was very pleasantly surprised by. Um, we spoke to um, to who did we speak to a little while ago? Pete Willis from um, uh, from Hawthorne Brewing Company, and they move into into southern China, and uh, they were very very kindly gave me a call and said, "Look, we're just about to put out our latest of the the Brew Shed series, which is our New World Lager. Uh, we know how you appreciate you know subtlety and nuance and." Uh, you're not a, you're not a lager snob. Um, would you care to try some? So, uh, very pleasantly surprised. Actually, a really a really nice, well crafted, um, small batch lager. He actually he actually did send me a uh, email sort of saying, "Oh, I noticed that uh, the, that no information about our new beers appeared on on, on the site." And I said, "Oh, gee, I didn't know anything about it." So I sent Peter Carton. I thought he might have uh, passed some on to you. So no, uh, a six pack. <laughs> I hope he didn't tell. It. I, I'm going to speak to Andrew who dropped it around. If there's meant to be another eighteen. Uh, Peter's on the impression that there was a carton that had been dropped off, and some of which uh, may or may not have uh, been destined for me. Oh, there you go. So here we go. Hopefully, we haven't caused kerfuffle at uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hawthorne HQ. No, nah, not at all. Um, um, anything stick out for you in the news this week, Prof? Yes, uh, actually, it's well, it's it's kind of um, very. Topical, I guess, at the moment because uh, we are planning to speak to the head brewer out at Hawkers, uh, who picked up last night the grand champion brewer for the Oceania region at the uh, International Beer Cup. No, what is it? What's it called? The I've got it here somewhere. International Beer Challenge is it? Challenge. That's the one. Yeah, in London. Yeah. Yeah, I I did see that and had a chance to uh, get on it yet. I guess. Some of these, and it's something I've always struggled with when I used to write about them. Um, the some of these awards, uh, you know, when you don't know the background to them, you wonder just how big they are um, or how relevant they are. Because um, we get a lot of media releases. You know, Brewery X has won a gold medal or a trophy at the international beer something um and without knowing too much about the award structure it can be a little bit hard to 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 cover them um because i I think you know it it, not all medals are equal if you know what i mean prof you're shit canning it aren't you no no not at all not at all sorry matt are you are you downplaying the value of this particular award not this particular one at all but i haven't looked (laughs) into this award to uh to know just how uh i see your point um, but, you know, for example, and just sort of looking at the news flash that's come through from Crafty Pint, um, uh, prior to Edge's trophies last year, um, uh, Red Oak won Supreme Champion Beer in both 2013 and 2014. Now, Red Oak is a, is a brewery that has won a lot of awards, you know, at the Australian International Beer Awards uh, for many years, but they don't seem to have featured too strongly in um, the AOBAs of late. Um, I'm not sure they've stopped entering in the local beer awards, um, but they make a lot of beers and they don't seem to have featured, um, and they seem to be entering a lot of beers in overseas awards. Now, I, I don't know what that means, Prof. I'm just raising it, but it's one of those things that when I come to write about a story, I don't like to just sort of say, hey, isn't it fantastic this brewery has won this award, if celebrating that award doesn't necessarily mean too much. And, you know, I, I look at Red Oak having entered and not 
doing terribly well in the domestic competitions anymore and just wondering whether there is something that's uh, worth digging a little bit deeper for. Yeah, yep, no, fair enough. And we should point out too that the, the International Beer Challenge in London is, is packaged only. Um, and this year I think there were around about 30 countries, uh, beers from around 30 countries that were, that were entered, but packaged only, we should just point out. And, and yeah, Prof, I will say, I mean, just for reasons that will um, become clear later in the show when we get to the mailbag, um, that wasn't a shit can. I'm just going through my thought process um, for you know, looking at these awards. I know nothing about it and then trying to sort of, uh, you know, think a little bit more about it. Um, Muzzin Hajar and Hawk is making terrific beer. And if they've won the, uh, the, the award, um, you know, it, it, it's no doubt very, very well deserved. Um, I, 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 I do um, remember a couple of years ago, uh, Feral was named uh, champion beer at a, I think it was a Singaporean or a, it was an Asian um, beer awards. And I phoned, uh, jumped on the phone straight away to phone Brendan um, Barris and get his feedback on it. And the first thing he said, he said, shit, we didn't enter. And it turned, <laughs> and, and so he was completely bemused that he'd won this award that he knew nothing about and hadn't even entered. And uh, he got back to me uh, a couple of hours later and said, oh, what's, what's happened is a, a, an importer there had bought some beer to try it in the market and as part of that had entered it into the awards. And from memory, the awards had been a couple of... The awards were a couple of months after this beer had been sent off. Um, and on one hand, Brendan sort of thought, well, you know, the, the beer's not going to be at its best. It's not going to be fresh. So I'm not sure what that means about my beer if it's won at these awards. But on the other hand, um, it's probably the best test of my beer against beers from America or you know, hoppy beers from elsewhere because they've all had to travel an equal distance to, to enter in these awards. Um, so, yeah, so uh, I, 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 whilst it's great for breweries, um, and a lot of breweries obviously feel very important, you know, about entering these awards, I don't necessarily know what some of the international beer awards mean. No, fair enough. So, Any other news? Um, absolutely. Now, Prof, you penned a story, brewery falls short of a 200... Speaking about things, I don't necessarily know what they mean. Um, brewery falls short of a 240,000 crowdfunding target. Um, you penned a little story um, about the Strath Creek... Is it Strath Creek Brewery? Yeah, Strath Creek Brewery. Yeah, they. Um, James Atkinson, the editor of Australian Brews News, uh, posted a story a month or so ago now. Um, Dude, where's my brew pub? And, and talking about how, in essence, you know, the American model of the of the brew pub, where you have a, you know, essentially a, a small, I guess it's well, it's like a large cellar door, uh, a little pub that makes its own beer on site, pours it straight, you know, from the um, conditioning tanks or from the bright beer tanks or whatever, um, it hasn't been so quite as popular in recent times um, in Australia. Although, if you look back to you know our first tentative steps into into you know inverted commas craft beer was were things like the G Bung Polo Club and the Loaded Dog and um, uh, the Redback uh, Brewery, which were uh, along those models, and obviously the the James Squire. Um, Bountiful Squire and the Charming Squire and those sorts of things have, have done a similar kind of thing, um, but it hasn't kind of really sort of taken off. So James penned the piece and the guys, Wendy and Alan from uh, Strath Creek Brewery, uh, approached us and sort of said, look, you know, we're, we're starting up a brew pub, but how come you haven't sort of mentioned us? And, and James just politely sort of said, look, once it's up and running, sure, let us know. Um, and they came back to us sort of saying, but the whole thing is we're really trying to sort of, you know, raise this money. So it then kind of become, okay, well, let's have a look at what, what's your crowdfunding sort of model. And it was, oh, yeah, we're, we're just after, you know, 240. I thought, geez, that's not going to buy you much, Kit. And then, and then oh, they, 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 a few zeros at the end of that 240. And then, yeah, there were six zeros at the uh, – uh, sorry, three three extra zeros at the end of that, which I thought, oh, okay, well, here's perhaps here's the story. That seems um, – like a fairly large ask for um, for crowdfunding, um, there must be a you know an interesting model. So we sort of looked at the, what the uh, ins and outs of the offer were. Was there a special incentive? Was there a loyalty program? Is the you know the the first pot every time you come in is it free? You know, do you get a t-shirt? Do you get a, a share in the brewery, or whatever? Um, so we we basically sort of wrote about the story um, and linked it along the lines of um, other businesses that hadn't been quite so successful in their crowdfunding because I guess the punters who wanted to support them, yep, no worries, you know, happy to support you a little bit here and a little bit there if you're a mate or, you know, would love to see that happen. 
But, you know, in the words of Mazen Hajar, I've never heard of a, uh, a restaurant opening that, you know, can't afford an oven. Mm. So it was, a, I guess we looked at it from that point of view as to, you know, has the crowdfunding model kind of, I, I guess, grown legs and um, a will of its own? Uh, is, it, is, it, is it perhaps losing its sting? I mean, I, this is another one that I, I really struggle with, and because I, I, I tend to think that when we put an article on Brews News, like we, we get a lot of emails about you know uh, crowdfunding, and there is just something about these things that you don't want you, you don't want to come out and say this is a bad or this is a good um, crowdfunding model, but just the mere fact that it is reported um, creates publicity that in return can be seen as an endorsement or you know. Um, depending on how people read an article on Australian Brewers News, they might think, well, these guys know the industry. Um, they're not going to report on something that is a little bit dodgy or you know, isn't a good business model. And people may you know, in, you know, in put money into it on the strength of it appearing on Australian Brewers News. And I never, you know, other people sort of say, well, no, you're just reporting the fact that it's happening. But, I, you know, I always tend to think that we've got a little bit more responsibility than that. And I don't know the Strath Creek um, Brewery. 240000 is a lot of money to be putting in for a business that, um, you know, may be a little bit speculative. speculative. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's the, the crowdfunding model is a vexed one for me, Prof, because uh, I figure that, you know, if there is demand for it, people will support it. But, you know, maybe there are some businesses that um, would probably be, be better off uh, you know, if they had a good model, they would get funding from the bank. I don't know. Um, yeah, and look, and look, there's a bit to be said for you know, slow and steady, um, as well. Just, just sort of, I guess, build the business uh, rather than oh, look. There's a big risk, I guess, when you if you do tip a lot of money into it and then uh, kind of you know craft your brand and and get the word out there. Uh, you know, it's it's fraught with risk. So I wish them all the best. Uh, and, and watch this space. We'll see how they go. Yeah. Then again, I mean, we're asking people to support us. Um, but, I, yeah, I, I guess it's a little bit different. Um, we're asking people who, you know, to support us based on our track record um, or that they like what we've done and to keep doing it. I don't know. I don't know, Prof. I'd be, I'd, Matt, I don't know about you, but I'd, I'd be doing a lot more research into each of these episodes if uh, if there was 240K at the end of it. <laughs> exactly. Oh, exactly. So, okay. So, uh, I mean, and, not that we don't, not that we don't put in any effort. We do. Um, speaking of other things that the question has been asked, um, do we really need it? Um, and this question has been asked based on this story: startup targets organic beer niche. James Atkinson, um, a startup beer company, aims to address the current lack of organic beers on the Australian market. Struman's Organic Organic Beer Co. is Australia's only dedicated organic beer company. Founder Ash Truscott took. Told Australian Brewers News. Um, you and I, when uh, I was recently up in Brisbane for the ECA, uh, was it the night before we started, I think? And we'd uh, done all our prep and got the change from the bank and all that sort of thing. And we were wandering through BWS and saw the Strumans brands and sort of tipped them upside down to have a look at where they'd come from or if there was any sort of information about it. So that's uh, like a nice follow-up. I, didn't, I must admit I didn't realise straight away that they were organic when we were looking at them in VWS. And I think also, the I think in James in the story points out that it, I think, it, is it exclusive to Uncle Dan's and VWS? Uh, it, it doesn't say that, but it sounds oh. like they might have gone to it. And, it, and and that's one of those things that it's, uh, you know, there's certainly no shortage of them. There's Mountain Goat Organic Steam and Red Oak Organic Pale Ale. Um, there you go, Red Oak uh, gets another plug. I haven't there seen Red Oak Organic Pale for a while. Um, so, but yeah, so you know, whether there's a need for it, um, if it is exclusive to Dan's and BWS, obviously, I mean, those when you speak to the buyers for those things, you know, they don't just necessarily cram their shelves with beers. Um, they would only range it if they felt that there was a market segment that was currently being, um, you know, unsatisfied. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, so I, I don't know, James, maybe have been sent some he doesn't he doesn't review it in his uh in his uh article um but i know that a couple of other bloggers no. have been given some we I, I haven't tried it. it maybe we should um i don't know prof what's your thought about these things yeah I, I do try 
and try as many beers as I can just to, you know, keep abreast of what's in the market and, and, and what's yeah, there. Yep, for um, sure. This is one, it doesn't particularly interest me and I haven't sorted out. Um, no, and, and I've got to admit, Matt, we both uh, pretty much at the uh, simultaneously had the same, um, I guess, <laughs> impression that the, the two words that, or the two bits that put me off uh, were one of the, of the two beers is dry and the other is a premium lager. And that to me, I don't know, that to me just doesn't kind of gel with, um, just for me as a, as a consumer, doesn't gel with organic. You know, I would well, have thought maybe a, a Pilsner and a Pale Ale or a Gold Nail and a Pale or something like that. Um, I, I think premium lager and dry are, are just in a different, and interestingly, I've just, I've just pulled up, um, and we have, we should point out, we have rotating ads that are supplied by all of our different supporters here at Brews News. And I've just clicked on the thing. Um, yeah, so dry and premium lager. And then next to that is a an ad for um, uh, Han Ultra. Han Ultra, yes. So, uh, yeah, which is, I mean, it's great that they're willing to advertise on our site. But, uh, yeah, no, look, I, I mean, I, I, I agree. Um, there, there does seem to be... Once you start getting into the marketing angle, um, slapping organic on something these days tends to be about as meaningful as McDonald's advertising barista-made coffee, you know, just because a 16-year-old has done a you know, four-hour, and I'm guessing there, don't, you know, if, if you've done the barista's course. Well, maybe maybe if you failed the first course, yeah, if you, <laughs> four hours if you had to do it twice. Yeah, well, we'll see. They're but coffee jockeys, people. They're not baristas. If anyone's worked in a McDonald's and done the barista training, please let me know. Um, and yep. please let me know exactly how long it is. But yeah, just because you've been trained to use a, as Prof says, a coffee jockey doesn't make you a brister. And, you know, organic does have a, uh, a little bit more to it than just being, you know, not spraying pesticides or, or whatever on it. For, for a lot of people, people see organic as being a promise more than just being organic ingredients. And I, I would actually love to find out, Prof, if the, um, a little bit more about the hops because, my understanding is it's very hard to get organic hops. And even in the States, the organic certification, maybe I should uh, dig this up. Um, the... we, can, we can look into that because, yeah, yeah I, I, I have the feeling too that there are, um, yeah, it's an interesting area. Yeah, but because um, I, I think you can call your hops organic even if they've, they're not, strictly speaking, organic um, because of the vagaries of producing hops but anyway we, we might follow up on that and uh let people know about heineken uh, about that um and the last story i wanted to talk about prof was uh, queensland craft beer permits um for listeners who aren't in queensland and a lot of states have these where um if you're a craft brewer you have a license or some permit that lets you go to festivals and trade shows and sell your beer um, and it, it, it's just a route to market and uh, publicity that a lot of governments have um, almost as a amendment to the licensing act which doesn't let you just set up and sell alcohol anywhere to let small brewers um, get to market queensland has been a little bit slow in doing this and so you know if, if you turn up at a farmer's market or even a food and lifestyle event um, you can't sell your beer um, because you don't have that sort of license, you can you've got a license to produce beer. You may have a license to sell it from your brewery, but you don't have it um, to just sort of rock up at a, a markets, uh, which is a or a good food and wine show. Yeah, it's not a portable license in the same way that uh, wine producers have always had uh, attached, or well, in Victoria anyway, certainly, um, and I, I think nationwide. So it, it's kind of bringing it up to speed with those kinds of things. Exactly. And now the, the, the reason this is interesting is because Queensland you know, has never been a wine producing state, but about 15 years ago, um, as Queensland wineries started to develop and Queensland is making some very good wine, the, the government lent its weight to supporting the industry and they saw that it was an agricultural um, driver, you know, because the grapes were grown in Queensland and the wineries were great for tourism. So they decided to encourage it and they gave a, a wine industry uh, permit. Um, and that allows things like you can turn up to a farmer's market and sell wine, you can sell tastings of wine, um, and that tasting isn't of a specified size, um, and you've got to sell a, what's called a satellite seller door. So not only if, if you're based up at Stanthorpe, which is about two hours southwest of Brisbane, um, you can set up a satellite seller door in Brisbane, for example, and be closer to market and not rely on going through Dan Murphy's and some of the bigger chains, which has been a fantastic boost to the wine industry. For some reason, when they came out with Queensland permits, they've given Queensland brewers the chance to go along to uh, you know, farmers' markets and food shows, 
and they can sell up to a carton of beer and they can yep. give away free tastings. Um, and I just raised a few questions with the government about why their treatment of beer and wine was different. Um, and, you know, of course, <laughs> the, the, the first change is that the Queensland um, wineries provisions came under the Queensland Wine Development Act. For some reason, the beer um, changes came under the Alcohol Fueled Violence Legislation Amendment Bill. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, um, now, <laughs> well, look, that might have just been an expedient thing because the uh, alcohol-filled violence legislation amendment bill was changing segments of the Liquor Act, and this was a Liquor Act amendment. But it it is one of those subtexts that you know speaks volumes for the way that uh, beer is sold um, and the way that beer is seen. Um, and I'll direct everyone to the show notes because there is the full... I've posed a couple of questions and there are some fairly lengthy answers, which incidentally are cut and paste from um, you know, ministerial briefing material and don't necessarily answer the questions. Um, yep. But ultimately, once I got them, I wrote back to the uh, Attorney General's media advisor and said, look, you know, I, I understand what you're saying, but effectively, the effect of these two provisions are that you can have a brewery setting up at a good food and wine event right next to a winery. And that winery can be selling you know, 150 mil cups of wine that they're calling tasters whilst the brewer is limited to giving away free samples and only, sell, and only selling cartons of beer. And as you and I know, Prof, people aren't all that interested in going to a food and wine show and lugging home a carton uh, because of, of the weight. Um, no, no, exactly, and and the cost. Like you, you might want to, you know, get a bottle of uh, a small bottle of gin from one stall, and then some wine from another, and some chocolate or some nougat or something from somewhere else, and then maybe a six pack. Mm. Uh, yeah, it sounds like another one of those things that's been created by somebody who who has no intention ever of using, um, you know, the, the the product that they've created. Yeah, but uh, you know, like a, a six pack, um, they, they can sell a six pack. They can sell a single bottle for, you know, take-home consumption. But it, it's one of those things, you know, when, when a brewer is paying, you know, hundreds of dollars to be at a good food and wine event, trying to, you know, recover some of that cost um, is doing it. And wineries can do that because they can sell 150 mil cup of wine. And, you know, we've, we've operated events, Prof, where everyone seems to be looking at the, the brewers and yet people are turning up at our stall, you know, with the, the serious wobbly boot on from having, you know, Done the tour Seven, of the seventeen different samples of all the all the different wineries. Yeah, yeah, and, and wine seems to be a problem. So it's just it, it does seem to be one of those recurring problems um, that beer is always treated differently from wine, despite being a much lower form of alcohol. You know, a, a lower um, level of alcohol. But anyway, um, I just thought I'd raise that um, and see whether people feel similar similarly uh, um, unhappy with it. Yeah. So anyway, we might get on uh, now. The chat that we've got today, um, it was meant to be uh, 10 minutes with, um, which uh, our regular listeners will know from our uh, patronage. If you sponsor us to $10 a month, you get to ask your own questions. The questions went a little bit longer than 10 minutes, so it is going to take up our full show. So uh, there you go, Steve Cotty. Hopefully you're getting a good value for your money. But let's go and uh, we're, it, it's going to be 10 or a little bit more um, minutes with Mark Hubbard from Blizzard Brewing. Now, Mark Hubbard uh, from Blizzard Brewery, welcome to Radio Brews News. Thank you. But as uh, as you know, as a listener, we have um, patrons of the show or sponsors who get an executive producer credit, and one of those, Steve Cotty, um, has nominated you as the guest that he would like us to ask a few questions. So these are questions from a listener. Fantastic. So uh, we, we might we might kick off. Um, Prof, do you want to kick off with the first one? Yeah, so Stephen would like to know, first of all, as I would imagine most of our listeners would, uh, why did you decide to set up a brewery in the Alps? Um, I'm originally from Colorado, and growing up in the Rocky Mountains, um, part of the uh, Alpine experience there is local breweries. Uh, most of the big ski resorts have at least one. Uh, some have several breweries. And uh, um, being in Australia for a long time, I thought it would be a good idea to try and recreate that kind of experience in the uh, Australian Alps and uh, put a brewery uh, co-located with a ski resort. So I was going to say, tell us exactly where you are in the Alps so uh, people can find you. Yeah, we're about 10 kilometres. We're in the village of Dinnerplain, which is about 10 kilometres from Skilos and Mount Hotham. 
And uh, the brewery itself is uh, down at uh, Cattlepen Drive, which is 50 meters from the uh, little Kabungra Platter Toe that Dinner Plain Village has. We have a, uh, a tube park, sledding, and a beginner ski slope here, and it's just literally 50 meters from our front door. Mark, perhaps just as a little bit of background for our listeners, uh, before you set up the brewery, what was your um, your background and I guess your interest or you know professional or or social in beer? Um, I guess uh, I didn't come from the beer industry at all. I've been the CFO of listed uh, IT company um, for uh, for many many years before that, and uh, involved in Australia's gold industry before that, and most recently involved as interim CEO at Falls Creek Resort Management. So. Um, after uh, a lifelong interest in, in alpine environments and, and 10 years as a uh, holiday maker with our ski home here at uh, Dinner Pine, um, I wanted to spend more time here, and I thought that the, uh, the brewery was the best way to uh, do a business venture to, to get me into the villages and, as I say, duplicate the, uh, the Colorado Rocky Mountain experience. So I'm learning still... a lot about brewing. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I, breweries. As you go, and look, Steve's next um, band of questions is probably going to uh, put you on the spot and uh, and answer a few of those uh, those questions that we all have. Uh, first of all, he wants to know where is the the water for the brewery? Where is that sourced from? That's one of the best things about being up here. We have the uh, the purest water available to any brewer in all of Australia. It's sourced from the snowmelt aquifers that sit under dinner plumbing. So we're basically brewing with snowmelt. The uh, um, it doesn't come down a river. It just goes into underground reservoirs in the, uh, the minerals and, and the, uh, the rocks underneath Dinner Plain. And the water is, is brought up from a bore. Uh, town water is just treated with a UV uh, filter, and that's the only thing. And it comes into the brew house through a particle filter, and that's what we have, the purest water that we can get. But that sounds great on a brochure and and on a bottle, and it's something that helps people, uh, you know, pick up the bottle when it's in the bottle shop or um, you know, feel nice about the beer. But how important is that to to, to beer? It's you know, we, we've seen beers made from you know Arctic uh, iceberg melt and things, and then brewers who have access to you know town water that they strip out through reverse osmosis to leave it essentially pure. Say, well, it's exactly the same as ours. Does that make a, a real difference to the quality of the beer, or is it something that makes you feel positively towards the, the, the beer um, that results? Yeah, you know, I mean, obviously water is the, the largest ingredient in the beer. So the best water, the, 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 the pressure of the water, the, the better the water that you can get, the better the beer you're going to make out of it. And by the same token, though, the less you have to treat the water, the less variability that you're going to have in, in your end product, um, the less chemicals that you have to add into it, um, so, you know, the pure aspect of, of craft beer brewing has really come to the fore here because we don't need to treat our water, whereas many other brewers will have to treat it, uh, you know, uh, quite a bit to get it to be even palatable for the brewing process. Related to that, I guess, uh, Mark, are there advantages or disadvantages uh, both in brewing, uh, the brewing process at such a uh, high elevation, and linked to that, I guess, um, supply issues for ingredients and equipment, particularly during winter. Yeah, this, the supply chain is difficult up here, to say the least. And it's also, Australia being Australia, um, inordinately expensive. It cost me more to get my brew house from the Port of Melbourne to Dinner Plain than it did to get it from um, China and San Diego to the Port of Melbourne. <laughs> And uh, that that does for just about everything that we bring up here. So we're trying to overcome some of those those difficulties by looking at innovative solutions to our supply chain. Um, but uh, the altitude itself, it does have a different impact. It, it takes longer to boil, um, but we do get a, a good, nice rolling boil. Um, obviously, it boils at a lower temperature, but that's of no no real consequence. Um, it treats the acids and the hops a little bit differently. So we've we've uh, um, worked our way through that to make sure that we get the the taste profile that we want. Um, but uh, my my opening brewer used to say uh, it's easier to stock the the uh, space station than it is to get supplies up here. <laughs> and sometimes it feels like it. Uh, Dinner Plane has less than 100 full time residents, so we're probably um, the only commercial brewery in in such a small small town. And that probably also, I guess, uh, partly answers uh, question seven that Stephen's posed, which is uh, why cans straight off the bat. But I'm guessing that uh, would that make it a, a cheaper 
in the supply chain to get cans than it would to, to transport bottles up the mountain? Very much so, yeah. It, it takes up a lot less space for the same volume. It has a lot less weight for the same volume. And, and of course, importantly, it's a better um, product for packaging the beer and because it protects the beer better. So uh, when there's no preservatives or additives or chemicals or anything else in the craft beer, you want a brewery fresh when it reaches your customers and, and the cans won't allow light penetration. So uh, um, it's a better packaging from that aspect as well. So, so that's more a motivation for you, I guess, rather than just the, uh, the economic benefit. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit of both. I mean, the economic benefit is important, but then I, I thought that we would have a, a situation where the marketplace would say, well, we expect premium beer to be in bottles. So, uh, we're not so keen on your cans, but in fact, um, craft beer drinkers are starting to uh, search for cans, and, and especially up here, you can take it with you. You can take it to places you can't take a bottle, and uh, so people really appreciate that aspect. Mark, two related questions. Um, what styles are you currently brewing and have available? And I guess Steve knows a little bit about them because he also asks, why a lavender lager? <laughs> Um, I'll start uh, with the first question. First, um, we've uh, brewed seven seven beers in our first five months, which is pretty pretty good. We have a Brandy Creek Kolsch, which is very approachable and easy drinking, Kolsch style beer, and uh, Pale Ale as one of our all time favorites in, in Australia. Powder Pale Ale. Um, we've done an Ice Horse IPA, and uh, that was uh, that sold very very fast. We we had a really really good response to that, and so. Currently, we're out of that, but we've got two batches in the uh, fermenters right now. Um, we've got uh, the Avalanche Amber Ale, which has proven to be very successful up here as well. That's available in cans and kegs. And uh, the 1550 Lager, which is available in cans and kegs right now. And then uh, we have a Summit Stout, which we sold out of our cans, but we still have in kegs. And the, uh, the uh, Lavender Lager, which is our 1550 lo uh, Lager with a, uh, um, a lavender flavor. Which brings us to why lavender. <laughs> um, it's it's something just to to make a bit of a distinction. Really, it, it's something that uh, I promised to my wife when I quit my corporate job and and came up here to to do this. That I would try and make a beer that would be popular for non beer drinkers, popular for ladies. And it came a bit of a, an inside joke between she and I and and uh, the people that helped us put this together. Um, and then when my opening brewer came up here, he noticed the lavender fields at Harrietville. And he said, I could make a beer out of that. And we said, oh, well, why don't we try that then? So we got the uh, the lavender. And, and, you know, being local and everything is, is an important thing for us. So the fact that the lavender is grown just at the base of the mountain is, is something. So we made a cold steep tea out of the lavender, introduced it into the beer. And poof, we have lavender lager. And uh, it's been proven to be really quite popular. Um, a typical comment is, uh, I expected to be offended to buy this, but it's really, really quite good. And if I didn't know it was lavender in it, I wouldn't know what was in it. But uh, it has a, a particularly spicy taste, that profile to it. So yeah, I was gonna... it's a bit of a novelty beer. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's something that, you know, people pay attention to. So, Mark, it's more because lavender lager. I automatically had um, images of aroma rather than than a flavour. So it's a, it's more like a, a spice than it is. Uh, and and I mean, that's what we, that's what that's, we, we wanted just to add an aroma and not really change the taste. And there is an aroma there, um, but it, it certainly tastes different from our fifteen fifty lager. Um, but to me, it, it tastes a, a bit spicy. It, it's, uh, it's got a, a flavor profile that I wouldn't associate as floral or something like that. And, and, and for uh, listeners back out, and for listeners out there, Matt now owes a six pack. <laughs> uh, uh, no, because I'm going to edit that out. I can do that. Uh, <laughs> no, no, you can't edit it all. Out. Matt's phone rang. Matt's phone rang. Matt's phone rang. Matt didn't have his oh, phone okay. on silent. Uh, yeah, well, I'll, I'll take one. <laughs> I, I'd actually well, switch it on. I'll, so I'll take can... it in. I'll take it in lavender lager. Thank you, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we also have a regular question that we've uh, started asking all of our um, listeners. Um, it's called Pacey's Poser, um, and it's if you were to start everything all over again. Actually, um, before we go to Pacey's Poser, um, there was uh, you're at the end of your heading towards the end of your first snow season. Has the endeavour paid off so mm. far? Uh, yeah, look, I, I've been quite happy with how we've traded. It's, um, 
I would have liked it better if people could find their way down here more easily, and, and uh, I would have liked it better if they would come here when there's a snowstorm raging, which I thought would happen, but people seem not not to do that so much. Um, but uh, yeah, I've been I've been pretty happy with our our first uh, winter's trading. Awesome, and so that brings us to Pacey's uh, poser. What would you change with the benefit of hindsight? Uh, you know, what have you learned, and what would you change if you did it all over again? Um. I, I needed to uh, do better on, on uh, distribution and logistics. The supply chain is difficult, and uh, so we need to innovate to improve that. And uh, it might have been better to be ahead of the curve than behind the curve on that. Um, and distribution as well, getting the beer back off the mountain. Um, you know, the business plan is is to have Alpine visitors come up here, taste it, have it part of their experience, and then want to have it when they get home. And they are asking for it. They they want to know where they can get it. And I just don't have enough supply right now and distribution right now to have it available for them. So I need to get that sorted out pretty quickly as well. Terrific. Well, Mark, thank you very much for joining us uh, for our little over 10 minutes with uh, um, our <laughs> listeners' uh, choice. All the best. We'll have to uh, – there's a lot of breweries that Prof and I want to get out to, and yours is definitely on the uh, the, the list. Do you ski, Prof? Well, do we <laughs> – do I ski? No, yeah. yes, I, I I love nothing better than uh, getting up there and watching other people ski. I love nothing more than sitting in a brewery <laughs> while there's a storm raging outside. So I think we might have found the brewery that we want to head to, Mark. So thank you very much for joining Excellent. us. Excellent, very good. Thank you to our uh, listener, Steve Cotty, for suggesting uh, Mark um, for the interview. Thanks so much. I look forward to hosting you up here. Hey, actually, Mark, actually, Mark, just before you yeah. go, and while, and, and while yeah. the tape's still running... Um, there's another reasonably well-known uh, uh, brewery based up on uh, Australia's highest peak, um, also run by uh, a native Coloradan. Um, oh, yes, sold... Kaziasko, Chuck Hahn, yeah. yes. Well, I wasn't going to mention names, but now that you have. Yeah, good friend of the program, uh, Chuck Hahn. Yes. Um, now, he gets around his logistics problems by uh, having the beer made for off-the-mountain um, uh, sales actually brewed off-the-mountain. Is that something that perhaps down the track, if you were to build, say, a production brewery to keep up with demand, um, you could solve two problems by perhaps, you know, building it down in Harrietville or something like that and then uh, or, or, or closer down to Melbourne. And I thought or, about or that. that. I actually change. thought about actually taking the water down and everything. And, uh, I mean, it, the, the, the major reason for putting up with all the disconvenience that we have being so remote is to access the water. I wouldn't have done this anywhere in Melbourne. It's just, you know, my adding to the brewery landscape by another one in Melbourne, I don't have anything to add to the industry. So the only thing I have to add to the industry is the location and the water. So by the, uh, by taking that out of your brand and brewing it somewhere else, um, I'd, I'd worry about that. However, if I got as big as Kosciuszko, I mean, we can't sell pale ale up here. Um, we, we can sell at retail in cans. I can't sell a keg to uh, to any of the uh, the pubs because they've all got Kosciuszko, and that's partially because it's Lion. Um, but you know they say, well, that's our pale ale, it's, and it's already got a following, and I'll sell heaps of it, and it's a good beer, and it's got a mountain connotation. And um, so if I ever got that big, where people, you know, they decoupled those things that are special to this brewery from the brand, well, then I, I might think about it. But uh, that's not what I'm what I'm trying to do necessarily. But uh, you know, there's good economic lessons in that. I did teach Chuck when I met him at the Craft Brewers Conference um, about uh, taking his beer and, and uh, taking a mountain beer down to the city. <laughs> <laughs> well, he takes city beer up to the mountain, doesn't he? <laughs> well, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's still got that little pilot plant in the Banjo Patterson Hotel at Jindabyne where where it brews. Where yeah. He, where initially brewed so i know that that's there but um yeah it's a it's a different prospect when you're brewing it at malt shovel and you're brewing it down in geelong at on lions facilities yeah, exactly and just quickly 1550 the is that uh an elevation reference or is it that is yeah this brewery sits exactly on a topographic map on the 1550 uh um elevation line so oh, is, nice. is that is that a mile i'm just trying to think is it is it is just shy of a mile, just so, shy of a mile. So Denver's still got the uh, yeah. shades so you out a little bit. I was born higher. <laughs> That's right, yeah, I was born higher. <laughs> and it's all downhill from there. <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> 
Okay, Mark. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, yeah, we definitely look forward to uh, getting uh, reaching the great heights of uh, um, Blizzard Brewing Company. Fantastic. Thanks for that. Thanks, Mark. Well, there we go, Prof. And that was, uh, well, a little over 10 minutes with, closer to 20 minutes with uh, Mark Hubbard from Blizzard Brewing. Thank you very much to Steve Cotty from We Love Craft Beer. Um, for suggesting him and also, most importantly, for supporting the show. Um, if you'd like to have 10 minutes with the uh, brewer or... Get, guest person, of your choice. Guest of your choice. And the, the offer is there to um, join us to, for the recording, although how that stretches our technology is anyone's guess. Uh, <laughs> but we'll see. But uh, thank you, uh, listeners. If you would like to jump on, you can jump on and to the show notes and follow the links to support the show. Uh, Prof, that was yeah, that was a great little chat. Um, gee, all these uh, road tours we're going to have to get, and uh, I'll, I'll be very interested to see whether any brewers write in and uh, sort of talk about the water question because it is a very uh, vexed question. I know that it's you know, if you do have very pure water, you, you love to trumpet that fact, but um, there are just as many brewers who sort of say, well, you know, our, our water coming out of our reverse osmosis machine is going to be purer than anything that you're picking up. And uh, we actually have to you know, add salts and minerals back into it to stop it from you know, leaching from our system. Yeah, there is, there is though, also, I guess, that, um, that cachet attached to water that hasn't needed to be treated in that way to create... You know, and I, I, I totally get that water chemistry... Um, the technological advances means that brewers can create water from anywhere, any any sort of you know traditional uh, brewing source from around the globe. Um, but I think I, I like the way that Mark has that. Well, literally got it on tap, um, and gravity basically you know the sun melts it and gravity brings it straight to his brewery. Um, I, I think that's a nice a nice little add on. Uh, yeah, and like no. he says, yeah, he, he would get lost in the noise um, if if the brewery was uh, you know Mark. Hubbard um, Brewing Co. in, you know, Fitzroy. Absolutely. And I don't want to sort of uh, spoil the magic of that, but I, 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 I've been a little bit fascinated by water ever since um, I did, I think, my very first tour of the Cascade Brewery and, uh, you know, we were escorted up to the, the, the heights of the, the mountains yep. behind the brewery. Mount Wellington. The Cascades. Um, and sort of told this is the original water source and, uh, you know, this is where we used to get the, 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 the water from and, um, and they showed there was a rusty old, like a... 80, 90-year-old pipe just sort of sitting there um, that they used to draw the water down. <laughs> well, you know... Dribbling copper-orange water yeah, and, down into a, into a murky creek. And while that, whilst that might be a nice part of the story, these days it comes from the reservoir that's further downhill that the same, you know, that feeds... Well, you know, it, even, it even doesn't because uh, before they closed the maltings down, they did use that uh, for the, uh, the Cascade maltings, but all the brewing water came from town water. Yeah, no, th- th- that's what I meant. So it had been a long time, uh, and they'd just been using the town water. So, um, but they still talk about the Cascades, and that was one of those. That's one of those things. It's a little. There's a little bit of distance um, between the story and the reality, um, because when you sort of ask them about that, you know, they had to treat the, this, this pristine water anyway. Um, and I, yeah. I, I'm, I didn't want to uh, mask Mark too much uh, of the, the technical elements, but. You know, if your water is so pure, um, are they burdenising it for their ales or are they adding salts and minerals back into it, which doesn't that then get in the way of the story? But anyway, you know, again, um, it was just uh, one of those things. It, it, it is a, a lovely thought to be drinking water that's uh, you know, fresh from a snow melt. Yeah, exactly. Cards and letters, Matt. As I write this letter, send my love to you. Remember that I'll always be in love. Uh, not too much. Let me see. The, now, Prof, we do have a cards and letter in uh, iTunes. Or, here we go. Okay. A review? We do have a review. It actually goes back to early August. Uh, something I'd not realised about iTunes is that uh, I, I just assumed that they ran in order, in date order. Um, but as I was flicking through, I could see that the oh, okay. number had gone up. But when I went to the end one, I thought, oh, I've actually, I've actually read that one. Um, so, but as I was skimming through them, I realised that there was one that we hadn't read. Um, so I will read it to you now. So it goes back to August 2nd, um, and it's by SRG555. So I'm not sure who SRG555 is. 
Um, but he also listens to Ale of a Time and a couple of other podcasts. He's given us five stars. And he says, these guys clearly know their way around the Australian beer scene and their conversations about beer in the industry always make for interesting listening. Matt's tendency to shit can, as Pete puts it, everything has moder- moderated of late, but he's still inclined to spend 100 words giving you 50 words worth of info. Uh, that being said, the guests are invariably interesting and the questions put to them are thoughtful. Great work, guys. Keep up the good work. Uh, once again, absolutely I'll wear that comment. Um, Actually, in, in those two things, Matt's tendency to shit can uh, has moderated of late, but he's still inclined to spend 100 words giving you 50, are, are actually related. And I'm, I'm very aware, and I think we've uh, discussed this in the past, Prof, I tend to over-explain myself. Um, and that's partly because, you know, the, the start of the show is a great example. Um, talking about the, uh, you know, crowdfunding model, if, if you don't over-explain, then something that wasn't actually meant to be a shit can, but was me voicing my inner reflections on crowdfunding but in the context of that story suddenly becomes a shit can of that particular model and sometimes I feel a need to over explain myself and I'm feeling that need now um, and I've tended to probably try and appear less negative um, because there did seem to be a, uh, a feeling that I was being very negative but quite often it's just asking questions when I wasn't necessarily being negative but you know if you don't over explain you suddenly get people venting saying, you know, you're really harsh on that person. And then when you do over-explain, you get comments like this, which are perfectly legitimate. And I've just uh, probably spent 500 words uh, when 50 words would have done prof. Any thoughts? No, let's move on. (laughs) Um, Now, prof, while I was going in uh, cards and letters, um, there weren't any comments really to last um, last week's... uh, um, Show. Show, but there had been a few. Um, we ran a story, James did an awesome story, Batch Brewing showcases rare local craft malt. And we touched on this, um, and it was the guys from Batch using the Voyager malts um, to, uh, for a, a special beer project. Um, and there were two comments from Ben Hamilton. Yeah, yeah, what's River Brewing? And he's got, um, and he says, having grown up on a barley farm and now being a part owner and brewer of a craft brewery, it seems like marketing hype based on a fair bit of bullshit. Uh, there is no need for the BS as, as there is a great story without it. Craft brewing means different things to different people. Craft brewers are craft brewers for different reasons, and no one can speak on behalf of all of us. In my opinion, it should always be about the beer and not marketing hype based on white lies. But that is me speaking for me and not all craft brewers. Paddock to glass stuff is great. Uh, we're in the process of doing some ourselves, but tell the truth about what is going on. Schooner is not an heirloom variety. Why would you say it is? Farmers are not going to rotate their crop because a small brewer or malt house tells them to. They rotate them uh, because it keeps their soil in good uh, sustainable condition and inputs nutrients into the ground. Generally, farmers are rotating away from cereals such as barley and rye, uh, which have very similar impact on the soil, to legumes that get nitrogen back in the soil. Switching from barley to oats or rye has limited value. So why put a spin on the story to indicate that crop rotation is coming from a directive uh, from a craft brewer or malt house? It's simply not true, and it never will be. Um, now, that, that's quite interesting. We might, I, I wonder whether um, an upcoming show prof might be having a chat um, with Ben, if it's not too soon, maybe Ben and the Batch guys or Ben and... Um, and Stu, Stu, yeah, just to have a bit of a chat about that because... My re- on my reading of the story and having spoken to Stu last week and a lot of the other chats that we've done, we recently did the Brewers and Growers um, chat from Good Beer Week and uh, we, we've done those things in the past. And there does seem to be a um, a quite a bit of a push to modern varieties. And my understanding is that Schooner isn't a tremendously well-grown variety anymore. So whilst Heirloom... You know, it, it may be fairly young to be an heirloom variety. It is still a variety that you know, most malt-grade barley growers have moved away from. Um, yeah. The, and the, there were actually two comments um, that amplify or further discuss. Maybe he's used 100 words where 50 would have sufficed. I couldn't say. Um, but it, it seems to have uh, qualified and, and clarified. But, you know, what, what do you think, Prof? That might be a, a, just a nice little chat to... Um, have it because he's, he's raised some good points and they're points that um, I, you know, similar to the water one that I raised and uh, just having a little bit of back and forward 
um, about it because Ben obviously knows his stuff. Yep, yeah, yeah, no, all all aboard with that because it's not something that I read into particularly into the discussion, and it's not something that I, I guess I had the background on that obviously uh, Ben does. But it sounds like yeah, there's there's perhaps some agricultural ideology. Um, differences there, or of uh, interpretation, perhaps. And and on, on times these paddock to plate um, type stories, I remember was it Monteith's or DB did a beer a couple of years ago where they had the coordinates, the you know the GPS coordinates for where the the, the barley came from. And Phil Cook, um, our good friend Phil Cook, um, <laughs> he actually plugged those into Google Earth, and it was well away from the farm that it purported. You know, the, the, Coordinates were well away from the farm that purported to be, or purported to be, you know, at the letterbox of the um, thing. So, which made a bit of a mockery about it. But even so, you know, we we did talk about that last week with Stu, um, you know, about just how meaningful it was. Um, and yeah, so, so I, I thought that I, I didn't think that they were putting too much of a spin on it, but that it was stuff that married up with a lot of what else had been said. But anyway, lest we. Uh, over-explain, um, we, we might sort of set that up as a bit of a discussion because there's obviously a little bit more there. Um, yeah, well, as we as we play the uh, play-out music, we shall uh, I'll, I'll, I'll tap away and uh, flick an email out and uh, see what response we get. Are you cutting me off there, Prof? It's 11 o'clock. Okay. <laughs> Always good to uh, chat, Prof, uh, and uh, yeah, talk to you again. Now, I, I am off. Next week, this time next week, uh, I'll be on a jet plane, leaving on a jet plane. So we are trying to work out, listeners, how we can stay regular for the three weeks while I'm there. We'll definitely be having something up. Um, how we do that um, remains to be seen. But uh, thank you, listeners. And, uh, Prof, always good to chat. And, uh, yeah, we'll certainly uh, chat again uh, very soon. We shall. And we're out.